Welcome. You're listening to Be Ye Steadfast. Hello, this is Evangelist Rob Watkins welcoming you to Be Ye Steadfast, a program which aims to exalt Christ while encouraging and strengthening Christians, especially those who serve them. From 1 Corinthians 15, 58 comes Paul's words almost like a coach to his team near the end of the game when everything is on the line. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Today I want to talk about the most powerful weapon in the Christian's arsenal. This is an amazing tool that helps us to grow and to be godly and to be victorious. And it is the tool called prayer. And in the Bible, while there are many scriptures that speak about the subject of prayer, I find that many times we still do not understand just exactly what prayer is. I mean, how many times have you heard somebody say that prayer is simply having a conversation with God? Now, conversations with God are certainly very permissible, and we see those conversations many times in the book of Psalms, the conversations between David and God. But when it comes to prayer, prayer is a lot more specific. Some would say that prayer involves adoration, and yet we find that adoration is different than prayer. Adoration is the basis upon which we pray. We adore God, we love Him, and so we pray. Some say that Thanksgiving is a part of prayer. Now, Thanksgiving is not praying, it's giving thanks. The Spirit of God is very careful in the words that He chooses in the pages of our Bible. So, we should adore God, we should thank God, we should be filled with gratitude, but that is not praying. Some say that prayer involves confessing our sin to God, and we ought to confess our sin. That puts us on good praying ground. Agreeing with God about our sin puts us on ground to make requests from Him. But prayer, at its very essence, is not adoration, it's not praise, it's not thanksgiving, and it's not confession. Prayer, at its very core, is asking. We find in the Word of God that there's a word for prayer that talks about just that, making a petition, making a request, asking something of God. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8, the Bible tells us, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now think about that. Prayer supplication, thanksgiving, three different types of things. And the Spirit of God is very careful to choose exactly what words are in our text. So prayer and supplication, we might think those are rather synonymous, but there is a difference between the two. Supplication and prayer. Prayer is when we make general requests of God, such as we see In the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All of those are requests. 
general requests, and they may lead to something specific. Supplication is like one who makes a request of a sovereign, of a monarch, of a king. A subject who is in dire need makes a desperate plea to a monarch, makes a desperate plea to a king. A supplication is when we come to God about something that is on our hearts with the sense that we are desperate for Him to hear and to answer, that if He does not answer our prayer, we are sunk, we are goners. If He does not intervene, we're done. That's the spirit of supplication. Often there's a question, well, if God knows what we need before we pray, why pray? And that's a great question, and that's a valid question. And so let's address that for just a moment. Why do we pray? If God knows what we need before we even ask, why do we pray? Well, for a few reasons. Number one, we pray because we're commanded to pray. Paul told the Thessalonian believers to pray without ceasing. As we mentioned, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, ties prayer in with the peace that we experience. So we pray because we're commanded to pray. A second reason we pray is because it is God's ordained way of receiving things from His hand. God tells us to ask Him. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. This is God's way of receiving things from His hand. Another reason we pray is because answered prayer glorifies God. He is interested in every detail of our lives, and we can come to Him about everything in our lives. There is nothing too small, of course, or too big, of course, for us to bring it to God. And so we we pray because we're commanded to. We pray because it's God's ordained way of receiving things from Him. We pray because answered prayer gives glory to God. God is honored when we go to Him and when we petition Him and when we ask of Him, whether it's a general petition or whether it's a desperate need, God is then honored and glorified when He meets that need that's been requested. When He answers our prayer, He is glorified. He is honored. And so we pray. Another reason we pray is because it demonstrates our dependence upon God. We are thoroughly dependent upon Him. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. And so prayer illustrates that we understand how dependent we are upon God. So often we've gone through the day without calling upon God, without praying. We've gone through the day without sensing how desperate we are for His presence and for His power and for His peace and for His leadership and guidance. We've gone through an entire day without consulting Him, without seeking His will, without asking Him for His power and for His wisdom. Well, it's essential that we pray, and we have some reasons to pray. But I want to direct your attention specifically today to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to direct your attention specifically to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Where the Bible says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now here we're about to find the basis for granted petitions. We're about to discover the basis for answered prayer. Here it is. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now you and I recognize that, of course, as part of what is called the Lord's Prayer. It's taught to us in Matthew chapter 6. It's also taught to us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. And in this, it is a series of of, uh, petitions. It is a series of requests. I mean, you think about it. You go all the way up to verse 9 in Matthew chapter 6, where the Bible says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. We stop there for a moment. That indicates that prayer is on the basis of relationship. It's not a kind of thing that says, Well, God, if you're there, hear me. It's on the basis of relationship. Our Father, which art in heaven. Which means then that there has been a point in time in somebody's life where they have become a child of God. How does one become a child of God? Well, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you received Christ? Have you believed on his name? The Bible says that if we will do that, we become the children of God. We become the sons of God. And on that basis, we can come to our Heavenly Father. We can come to Him with our petitions. Notice the first petition here, after the Bible says, in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, catch this, hallowed be thy name. Some misunderstand that as a declaration. That the Bible doesn't state there, hallowed or holy is thy name. It doesn't say that. It says, hallowed be thy name. This is a request that God's name would be holy. A request that God's name would be shown, would be demonstrated to be holy. And then the requests continue. Thy kingdom come. The next request, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The next request, give us this day our daily bread. And on and on and on. And then we come to that last, last verse there in verse 14, excuse me, in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And in that verse, we learn four characteristics of our prayer answering God. Four characteristics. First of all, the Bible says, for thine is the kingdom. Now, that is a reminder that our God is in charge. It speaks of His royal dominion. It speaks of His sovereignty. It means that God has control over all things and can so order them as to answer our petitions. Donald Gray Barnhouse, years ago, once stood in his pulpit on a Sunday morning. It was a jam-packed auditorium. And he said this, he made this statement, and it was arresting. He made this statement, prayer changes nothing. Oh, you could have heard a pin drop. But he went on to say, because God doesn't change, obviously, and God knows what we need before we ask. But he went on to make it sure and make it very clear that prayer changes us. Prayer often lines up our hearts with the heart of God. Lines up our will with the will of God. Lines up our desires with the desires of God. And that's a recognition of this first characteristic of God, that He's in charge. Thine is the kingdom. God, you are in charge. And then the Bible continues in that verse, Thine is the power, for thine is the kingdom, and the power. Power. It's a word dunamis. 
It's the word that's used in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Power, dunamis. And some people say that that's the word we get our word dynamite from. But you and I understand that when this was written, the authors didn't have dynamite in their minds. It wouldn't be invented for millennia later. But instead, it's a word that we get our word dynamic from. Dynamic. Power. So if praying and understanding that thine is the kingdom means that God is in charge, then when we also say thine is the power, it means that God can do anything that God wants to do. God can do anything that he wants to do. There is power, ability, residing in the Lord, residing in God. God has the power to accomplish what we ask. We are weak, but he is almighty. And this term, thine is the power, this phrase reflects on that. You are almighty God. All things are possible with you. God can do anything that God wants to do. You know, we have a word for that in theology. It's called the omnipotence of God. And sometimes people will say, well, if God is all-powerful, can he make a rock so big that he could not lift it? Which, of course, is just nonsense. The fact that God is all-powerful means this. God can do anything that God wants to do. God can do anything. So we say, thine is the kingdom. Lord, you are in charge. Thine is the power. That means you can do anything that you want. And the verse continues on. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The glory. That is a word that talks about the fact that he is ablaze in beauty. It's a word that speaks of his splendor. The glory of God often appeared in the Old Testament in the form of splendor, sometimes in the form of a cloud. Why, it was the glory of God in a cloud in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 10. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 10. It was the glory of God that abode on Sinai as Moses was there in Exodus 24 verses 16 through 17. Exodus 24 verses 16 through 17. It was the glory of God that abode in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 35. Exodus chapter 40 verses 34 through 35. It was the glory of God that filled the temple in Second Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 14. Second Chronicles 5:14, as well as 7. Second Chronicles 7 verses 1 through 3. It was the glory of God that shone about, that shone round about the shepherds in Luke 2 verses 8 through 9. Luke 2 verses 8 through 9. Oh, the glory of God. You know, Isaiah beheld this glory in Isaiah chapter 6. And when he beheld the glory of God, there wasn't a warm fuzzy there. There wasn't a warm fuzzy feeling. It wasn't like getting a hug from God. Oh, Isaiah, when he beheld the glory of God, Isaiah immediately felt his own unworthiness. He immediately sensed that he was totally, completely contaminated, polluted before a holy God. And what he needed was cleansing. And in Isaiah chapter 6, there is cleansing involved there. And then there's the opportunity for Isaiah to listen to what God had to say and then to do what God was going to command him to do. Glory. Oh, when we say, thine is the 
power, or thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Three characteristics of God so far. God, you are in charge. God, you can do anything you want to do. God, you are ablaze in glory and beauty. This is a glory that belongs only to God. When Jesus manifested that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was a clear indication that he was God in the flesh. No man gets this glory. No man gets this glory. It's a glory that belongs only to God. And if any man takes any glory to himself, he is stealing what properly belongs to God. That's why the Bible makes it clear that Jesus didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. He did not steal anything from God when he claimed to be equal with God. Instead, he was making a statement that declared that he is indeed God in the flesh. But there's a fourth aspect of God's character here. In verse 13, thine is, the power, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Forever. You know what that means? It means God never changes. I love what Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. Lord, you are in charge. You can do anything you want to do. Oh, you are ablaze in glory and beauty, and you never change. I love that about our God. Circumstances may change. My moods and my feelings may change. My security may change to insecurity. But God never changes. In fact, when you think about it, it is only this God that can issue the invitation to Jeremiah that he issued in Jeremiah 33.3. Do you remember that, that invitation that God gave to the prophet? I love it. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knewest not. Isn't that awesome? Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Well, some people say that is God's phone number. Some people say that's the way to get a hold of God. But what a great promise that is. And there's only one God that can make that promise. And that promise is based on the fact that God is in charge, that God can do anything that he wants to do, that God is ablaze in beauty, and that God never changes. How about if we make this year a year of prayer? How about if we make this year a year where we have the regular habit, once a day, twice a day, three times a day, four times a day, seven times a day, a regular habit of going to God in prayer? What about keeping a list? What about keeping a list, putting a date by the request, and then as we take the petitions to God, putting the date when God answers the request and how he answers it? Boy, wouldn't that be a great faith builder? Let's be people of prayer. And aren't you encouraged by the fact that God is in charge? God can do anything that he wants to do. God is ablaze in beauty and glory. And God never changes. This is Evangelist Rob Watkins inviting you to join us next time for Be Ye Steadfast.